Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. You think... Everyone does this. This is just sort of one of those first rites of passage of parenthood that you have to go through. So it never, of course, crossed my mind that anything could go terribly wrong. This is Death, Sex, and Money. You're not worth $300. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Love. Yeah. What is that? And need to talk about more. Death is just a part of life. Something we're all destined to do. I'm Anna Sale. I remember when um, we were pregnant with Carl, we had a total sense of innocence about everything. And then I remember, you know, when Carl was born, <laughs> I, um, uh, I was taking a whole bunch of pictures at that time because I thought, how is it that everything looks so beautiful? <laughs> I was totally high. Um, and... Um, and it's been really hard to get as excited this time. This is Lee Toundrow. He and his partner Amber Scora live in Brooklyn. I think we feel a little bit like, um, I don't want to say cynical, but... Um, um, I feel like there's a loss of meaning. Like, the, yeah. like Carl's, everything about the pregnancy and your first child, it just infuses your life with so much meaning. And that, I think, is the hardest part. It's just... If life feels sort of meaningless, like if that, if your greatest treasure can be taken away for no reason that you can understand, because ultimately the only thing when I boil it down, when I can come down to why Carl died, it was just, Lee always says, it's just like, we were the unlucky ones. There's no, it was just like really, sometimes some random thing goes wrong and you don't know why and you can't explain it. I met Amber and Lee at their apartment last February. At the time, Amber and I were both about six months pregnant. Amber gave birth to her first child, Carl, in 2015. What's Carl's full name? Carl Ives Scora Toundrow. It's a big, long name for a little baby. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of when you think about when he arrived in those first days of learning how to be a mom? When Carl was born, when they put him on my chest... The very first thing he did was he craned his neck up, and I didn't even know newborns could lift their heads like that yet. And he looked right into my eyes <laughs> twice. And I just, I remember feeling stunned. I remember having this feeling where I wanted to almost consume his body. Like I wanted to lean down and hug him and, I, and just be able to absorb him into my body. It was the most connected I'd ever felt to another human being. And as Carl got a little bit older, there was these moments where sometimes he would catch my eye and stare at me and he would lock eyes. And then it was almost to the point where he would look at me so long and with so much love in his eyes that I'd almost start to blush or it felt like, mm. <laughs> but like better than the best lover's gaze that went on way too long in a movie. <laughs> but this was like your child and he's just looking at you because you knew that you sort of... You were his everything, and I could tell he felt really safe with me, and that also made me feel really happy.
After Carl was born, Amber took three months of paid maternity leave from her job. But as the time drew near to return to work, she didn't feel ready to go back. Lee was working freelance, and they couldn't afford for him to stop working. And Amber couldn't quit her job because their family depended on her health insurance. She asked the head of her HR at work about her options. There weren't many. The only suggestion he said he could give me was to take all my vacation days that I had accrued and that that would be allowed before I had to go back. So I did that. Carl was just shy of four months old when Amber and Lee dropped him off for the first time at a daycare center close to Amber's work in lower Manhattan. And of course it felt really surreal and strange to leave him. But once I took him out of the baby carrier, one of the daycare assistants One of the Spanish-speaking ladies came over and went up to his face and smiled and said, hola. And Carl just gave this big, radiant smile. So I thought, I felt really reassured. I thought, oh, he's going to have a little adventure here, and I'll be back before he knows it. Um, I went to work. I got there around just after 9.30, I think. And the whole morning consisted of just nothing. I mean, obviously, it kills me now because it just seems so fruitless and ridiculous but you know it's your first day back at work after months off and like the computer doesn't work and you're calling an IT support and then by the time it got close to noon I had told the daycare operator I would come back between 12 and 12 30 and so I waited until like 12 10 and then I just couldn't I couldn't wait any anymore I was too excited to go see him when I got to the daycare I, I thought it was strange, but the door was, the downstairs door was open because it was on the second floor. I thought, why would the door be open when there's children inside? And so then I went around the corner still having no idea that anything was wrong. And I just saw Carl laying on the change table and the daycare owner was uh, performing CPR on him. And I just, like, I remember... I, I don't, It's such a PTSD kind of thing. Like, I replay that moment over and over in my mind, but... Even to this day, I try to, like, reconnect what I thought I would be seeing with what I saw, and I can't ever really wrap my mind around how I could have seen that. I mean, there's just, there's no words to kind of explain the the turmoil, the mental turmoil of that. Amber ran over and tried to help the daycare owner perform CPR. Carl's lips were blue. The EMTs arrived soon after. They took Carl and Amber to the hospital. Lee met them there. I think they they tried to resuscitate him for about two hours. Even though they're trying to revive him, they let me hold on to his foot. Like, um, but it was they tried for so long, and like I just knew that there's they're just doing it for us, basically at this point, so that we knew that they tried. What time was it? I don't even know. Like I have no idea of concept of time. The whole. We were at the hospital a total of about eight or nine hours. Um, most of that time was spent. Uh, we sat with Carl after he was pronounced dead. And so that was most of the time that um, I can't even really remember. When you were sitting with him after he'd been pronounced dead, what did you do? Um, I just... I held him, like, for all that time, basically, we took turns holding him. And that's, like, a weird thing because it felt like, I felt like as long as I can hold him, I can handle this or something. 
so we just kept holding him. But I, I have to say, I appreciate the hospital staff so much because they didn't rush us. They were really supportive. Whatever we needed, they gave. And, and um, the nurses, like at the end, when we before we left, I one of the nurses was going off shift, so she came to say goodbye. And I, I, sh- I just... I showed her a picture that I had taken of Carl that morning, just in his diaper before we had left for the daycare. And I mean, he just looks like the happiest, jolliest picture of a healthy baby. And um, I just said, oh, I just want to show you a picture of Carl so that you know, like, how he really looks. And then she got tears and started to cry, too. Um, It was really, it was a really kind moment. What do you understand now about what happened to Carl? I don't understand much. I have, like, for the last, you know, months and months and months, my mind, I don't think there's a, probably a minute in the day where I'm not thinking about some aspect or some trying to understand or trying to figure out or blaming myself or feeling guilty or mourning over what Carl lost. Um, but... Yeah, the, for all of the obsessing and using all the powers of my mind, my brain to think about this all day long, I can't understand to this day how he, why he died. It makes no sense to me. You feel like there's this direct correlation between you leaving them and them dying. Like, how could you not feel that way when it was the first time that you had left them? Um, and as a mother, I started to go through every scenario thinking my mind would would just race because you your mind is racing you need an answer as a human being you need an answer for death at least you need to even if you can't understand death you need to understand why a death occurred after several weeks of waiting the medical examiner's report came back it said that the cause of carl's death was undetermined amber says the daycare provider told her that carl wasn't distressed before he died he'd been put down for a nap A daycare worker who later checked on him found that he wasn't breathing. Police did find that the daycare center wasn't licensed and that the daycare provider was not certified in CPR, although she'd claimed to be. The daycare center was closed down permanently a day after Carl died. Coming up, Lee and Amber talk about the days and weeks following Carl's death and about making the decision to have another baby. I find myself continuing to think, like, okay, we'll just get through this period, and then we'll have Carl again. And then I realize, like, no, no, we're not going to have Carl again. And and my mind keeps processing that information over and over again. Hey, everyone. This is Katie Bishop, producer of Death, Sex, and Money. As you may or may not know, Anna is out on maternity leave at the moment, but she'll be checking in again in the coming weeks, so tune in for that. Last summer, around this time, we put out our episode about siblings and the very complicated feelings that we have about them. If you haven't heard that episode, you can find it in your podcast feed or at deathsexmoney.org. We've been reaching out to some of the people who we featured in that episode to find out what's happened in their lives and in their sibling relationships in the past year. One of those people is Alex Sugarman. Anna talked with Alex and her twin sister Katie in the episode. And then, weeks after the episode came out, Katie died unexpectedly. 
If you want to know what it's like to have the worst day of your life and the best day of your life separated by about 11 months, that's pretty much what this year has been like for me. Alex got married in June. She sent in this update a few days ago. Planning a wedding while you're grieving is, um, in retrospect, probably a pretty bad idea because the planning process was kind of nightmarish. And I think that planning a wedding while you're grieving kind of offers this really confusing outlet for all the pain uh, that comes with grief. But um, when we got to the actual wedding, there was just so much joy and so much beauty and so much love. And um, I felt really healing to just have that much joy kind of heaped on us and heaped on our family. You can hear more updates on the siblings that we featured in our episode by signing up for our newsletter. We'll include those updates in next Wednesday's edition. Sign up at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. On our next episode... When I want it badly enough, I can really steal myself and just be like, don't freak out, stay still, kiss them, just do it. When Anna first interviewed writer Katie Haney two years ago, Katie was really freaked out about dating. When we talked with her again more recently, a lot had changed. I remember being on the subway and looking around at all the guys (laughs) and being like, I don't want to date any of you. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. On the night that Carl died, Amber and Lee didn't go back to their apartment. Their friends got them a hotel room. They stayed there and then moved to another friend's apartment for several weeks. It was particularly difficult to just imagine re-entering the house. And it just felt like a weird sort of museum frozen in time, like the sheets that Carl slept on or... Like this, you know, his bib with with puke on it. Like everything to me was just, I couldn't bear the thought of it. And I I made a couple of trips back to the apartment to to get things to just try to, I think, water plants and, I don't know, hold things down. Did you make the baby things less conspicuous before you came back? No. Um, well, yes and no. There were some things that I, yeah, some baby things I put away. Um, I mean, Amber and I talked about what things we wanted to leave out. I kind of wanted, I didn't, I was scared to go back, but then I also kind of wanted everything to stay intact. Um, 
I know I've met other people since this happened that had a baby die, and I know a lot of them kept the baby's room exactly how it was. And I, I think that before this had happened, I probably would have found that maybe surprising or maybe thought that was strange. But now I can understand exactly why people do that because it's all you have and of them like you have no of course you have all your memories but it's the one physical manifestation that you have of them when you think about your relationship in the weeks and then months after carl died were you mirroring each other's emotions or were you feeling different things at different points in your grief we were feeling different things at different points yeah, I mean, I think everyone grieves differently. And then I think a mother will grieve differently than a father. Um, I mean, at the very beginning, one of the really difficult things as a woman being having been living with, like Carl was like an appendage, like, and even just breastfeeding and like suddenly your baby's not there and your body's still producing milk. Like I felt like my body had been like torn apart, like something had been torn off of me, even physically. But for Lee, the grief, I think, was just as intense, but in different ways. For me, it was like um, the first week or two was total uh, shock and adrenaline. Like I just thought I I have to try to get things back in order. So I was just trying to kind of take care of all of the the, uh, practical issues. In those first few weeks after their son's death, Amber and Lee were also dealing with a lot of media attention. As the daycare center where Carl died was being investigated, the story was everywhere, from Gawker to the Daily Mail. Like, it felt like the whole city knew that our baby had died in a matter of a day or so. And all of a sudden, I felt like my personal life had just been blown wide open. And so I wanted to try, just try to kind of... I felt a lot of pressure to reassure everybody that it's going to be okay. So that's the mode that I snapped into. And I went back to work really fast because um, I was terrified that I would have some kind of scarlet letter. And I remember kind of feeling like I had to just postpone grief. And it was really hard. Um, and, uh, we had, luckily we had two, um, we each started seeing a grief counselor right after. And that was so helpful. Um, because it allowed at least, I mean, I can say in my case, it allowed me an outlet to talk about these things that I was going through. And so, for me, the grieving almost happened like in January. Hmm. Like I just didn't really see any friends or do any, anything. And I was just felt so depressed and awful. You just ran out yeah. of energy. Yeah. When did you have a conversation about trying to get pregnant again? I mean, it was days after Carl died. I was like, I have to have another baby. I mean, at the beginning, it was just like, I would do anything to have Carl back at that point. And then you're like, I can't control anything about this situation. But the only thing I can control is that maybe I can have another child. I hadn't 
really thought about how when you lose a child so young, how it makes perfect rational sense that your impulse is to get pregnant again, to have another newborn. Yeah. Is that something that you, like, is that something that grief counselors know about, like, have talked with you about? Is that a, is that a phenomenon that happens? From as far as the other women I know that have lost children, um, right now, two of the women that I knew that lost children at the same time as me are also pregnant now. And all of us have gone through the exact same emotions, like wanting a baby really badly, getting pregnant and then being like putting on the brakes and being like, oh my goodness, like, I don't even know if I should be doing this. And I'm crying all the time because the pregnancy hormones intensify the feelings of grief, which I, I guess I should have known, but I didn't really think about. Um, and then initially, I think because you don't know this child yet, you just can't help but feel, I keep just thinking I want Carl back. And then knowing it's not Carl and then feeling guilty that I seem to only want this one child. Of course, I know logically when the baby, when you, the baby comes out and you meet them, it's not going to, you're going to love them just as much. Everyone knows that. But um, I mean, I don't know how you describe the emotions of grief. I mean, they're just like this blanket that just smothers you. But what I have heard from women who have been through this and then went on to have other children, they all said that it never ever fills the hole that you have from losing the one that you did lose. But a little bit of the sadness is taken away because at least you have a baby to hold at the beginning. Like even if it's just that, that's something. Do you know the sex of the baby? Yeah, it's a girl. How did it feel to find that out? Um, that was hard because both Lee and I, I think, wanted a boy. Um, There's just this longing to somehow have something of what was lost. Like Amber, I think we thought, oh, we're going to have another baby and it'll be like we have Carl back. Or sort of like some aspect of his essence. Um, and so then I thought maybe it's good that uh, she's a girl and then it's very clear that it's a completely distinct thing. Do you think you'll handle parental leave differently with this birth? Um, yeah, I mean, well, one thing is that... Um, uh, the work situation has changed a little bit for me. I am the one with healthcare now, so I, I have it for the whole family. And, um, um, yeah, I definitely want to try to, uh, make sure that for at least for a year, that Amber can be taking care of Carl, uh, Carl. either with, uh, sorry, with uh, the new baby. It's hard. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of the the main things that we talk about all the time. Is how are we going to handle this differently? Have you thought about how you'll tell your daughter about your son? Yeah, I've thought about that, but I think that... I kind of feel like nothing will change from how we are now because Lee and I just talk about Carl all the time. And even with my friends, I talk about Carl and memories or like just whatever I'm thinking about about Carl. So I, I can't imagine it being any different with her and she'll know what happened. Um, 
but I don't think it'll be something we hide from her or shield her from. Cause I kind of think that that's unfair. I mean, it's fairly sad thing, but it's part of her family history and part of just what becomes a light, her own life story. Of course I want her to think of Carl as her big brother. That's Amber Scora and her partner, Lee Toundro. Carl's little sister was born in June. Her name is Sevi. She has a full head of dark hair, just like Carl. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our interns are Carson Frame and Brandy Gonzalez. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. If you've experienced the loss of an infant or a pregnancy and are looking for help, visit nationalshare.org. It's an organization that supports and connects those who are grieving the loss of pregnancies and young children. Since Carl's death, Amber and Lee have become advocates for paid parental leave. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, only 12% of people working in the private sector currently have access to it. Amber says that although she was part of that small percentage, she still feels very connected to the issue. Obviously, ours is a worst-case scenario. It's a nightmare for any parent, and it's not going to happen to most parents. But if a parent doesn't feel ready, the parent should not be forced to drop their kid off at a daycare and go to work at such a young age. At least... I wouldn't be wondering what happened or not knowing what Carl went through in the last minutes of his life. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.